and welcome to another episode of the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, Senior Reporter at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, Senior Media Editor at Digiday. Tim, you had um, the interview this week and you spoke with Rich Kleiman, the co-founder of 35 Ventures, which is a holding company that he founded with, NBA's uh, Kevin Durant. And that has both a media arm, which is called the boardroom, as well as an investment division and then like a charity foundation associated with it as well. But the boardroom is interesting because that started out, um, if I understand correctly, as a show on ESPN Plus that has since been spun out into its own kind of property. Did he get into like the process of how they made that happen? Yeah, he even tells kind of the conception story of the boardroom, which involves an a brunch party during NBA All-Star Weekend in 2018 and um, Pat Riley. And I'll kind of tease, leave it at that um, because we get, he tells the full story in the interview. It's really entertaining. Um, A lot of big, I think he names drops Jimmy Iovine as well. Um, So it's a good one. Um, But yeah, so they started out, you know, this as an ESPN plus show, but they wanted to do more with it than just a show on ESPN plus. And so they have, you know, since spun up a standalone website, Um, they're doing podcasts, Durant has his own podcast. Rich has his own podcast. Um, and then they also have a newsletter. Um, but what's interesting is they haven't gone super hard into the digital video space just yet. Um, but they're definitely up to a lot of things otherwise. Okay, cool. So it's like a proper media company now, it sounds like. Did they get into at all like what having a major sports star at the center of the company could mean for things like brand deals and advertising yeah like obviously it's it's helpful from a brand deal perspective but one thing they do have to navigate is brands who want to work with the boardroom just to get to katie um and also like to what extent like are the brands that want to work with the boardroom the types of brands that katie would want to be associated with and so right now they're largely skewing towards if it's not a brand that katie would want to be associated with then it's not a brand that the boardroom would really want to be associated with but they are also finding like that brands are starting to come to the boardroom specifically and then that creates an opportunity for the boardroom to then kind of upsell the brands by saying oh and hey if you also want to work with katie like that could be an opportunity too Well, I will let you take it away. I'm excited to hear some of the name dropping, but it sounds like it was a fun interview. Yeah, it was a good one. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Kayla. Rich Kleiman, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Rich, you are co-founder of 35 Ventures, and then you also co-founder of The Boardroom, which I believe the correct way to describe it is it being part of 35 Ventures. But 35 Ventures... It's kind of this holding company in a way. Is, is that the right way? Because you all have a media arm, a charitable foundation, and then also an investment arm. So let's start with 35 Ventures. What is the whole scope of that operation at this point? Um, yeah. So, I mean, 35 Ventures functions as the holding company, like you said, for everything that Kevin and I are working on. So under the parent code now is Boardroom is our ownership in an MLS team, Philadelphia Union, percentage ownership of a gaming company called Anbox, percentage ownership of Women's Sports Network, Just Women's Sports, 
partners with Steve Stout on a e-commerce company called Stash that also has a brick and mortar store in the Bay. Um, we also do a handful of docs and we have a scripted series on Apple coming out in around holiday time. And obviously manage Kevin and his foundation and invest in VC and early stage private equity. And then next year, I think we'll start investing concurrently Kevin's portfolio still as his manager that I'll oversee, but then the company is going to probably do a little bit of a fundraise next year and we'll invest directly in companies that we can now also operate or write bigger checks for and then still build out our businesses like Boardroom. And like, how have you seen 35 Ventures develop over the years? Because it was, I'm hazy on it, but either 2016 or 2017 when you and Kevin Durant created 35 Ventures um, and then it's expanded since then. But like over the past year, let's just kind of narrow down the timeline a bit. Like how how is it different today to what it was in June 2020? I think the best way to answer that, if it's cool with you, is I'll I'll go back a little further to March of 2020, because I think that at that point we were very excited about what we were building. We were having some success investing Obviously, managing Kevin is, you know, dream job. And we were doing our films in developing boardroom. But what happened then, which happened to a lot of people in the world, obviously, was that there was kind of a choice to make. And our company wasn't big enough where there was a world relying on it. So if I had wanted to say to everybody, oh, my God, the world's going to end. Let's just chill. (laughs) or let's just do the bare minimum, right? I mean, I wouldn't be who I was if I had done that, but we could have done that because the reality was like outside of myself and a few people that were managing Kevin and our venture fund, what we were doing in the media space or in the uh, private equity space and any of the things we're doing now was still very much in the infancy place that I could have said, you know what? Let's chill right now and let's not spend or let's not go after anything. But it was the opposite. I think we all realized how much we loved what we were doing. We all realized we loved what we were starting with Boardroom and the reputation we had started to garner for investing. And we wanted to continue to do that. And I made this effort at this that point to like really roll up my sleeves and say, okay, let's go for this. And I think from March till now, you just saw what we were building and envisioning start to come to fruition a bit more. And obviously still there's, there's ways for us to go, but what we were envisioning boardroom to be and what we wanted to do as a business and be known for and the energy in which we want to attack this, we just put it in motion. We just saw that as an opportunity to say, well, you know what? The stakes are actually high for everybody now because now you're working to, for a purpose. You're working to figure out like what the long-term future of your company is. So you couldn't just kind of use the same methods of like moving this thing along very methodically and at our own pace before the pandemic. And then all of a sudden saying, wow, we need a reason to do what we're doing. And I think that all kind of came together. And, you know, at least for me, it shows, I could see our staff's three times bigger, our company's gotten bigger. So, you know, I think that's actually, you know, at the end of the day, ended up being one of the most important points in our company and unfortunately one of the most like tragic parts of my life and all of our lives. 
Right, yeah. Everyone's trying to make the best of what's been a really terrible year. With that, like, how would you distill that mission or that purpose for both 35 Ventures, but then also specifically the boardroom? Well, I mean, I think for 35 Ventures, the purpose is that Kevin and I enjoy working together. We share a lot of the same visions and we respect the ones that we don't share and want to help each other bring them to life. And we enjoy doing this and we have fun doing this. And basketball drives it. But, you know, now we have the fortune of having our hands in so many things that the mission is to keep building something special and unique to us and to create a great opportunities for tons of people um, that, you know, that we know we want to impact. Um, and then in terms of boardroom, I think that there is a real need for this platform. In the beginning, I thought that there was going to be an appetite for it. I felt like there was going to be a response to it that was that this was something interesting. This was a conversation that a lot of people, a lot of sports fans may not have been aware about, like what really was happening in the world of sports and business and the culture around it. But what I didn't realize was what a need there was for it. How many young entrepreneurs and young people in general and, and just people that are connected to sports and entertainment and media and everything happening right now in this like insane emerging economy and, and all of the different things that are happening in the sports world was people really didn't have a very relatable, cool, and informative place to get that info. There was drips and drabs of it on ESPN and Forbes and Sports Business Journal, but somebody that authentically was delivering the world off the court, off the field, and the things that happened, the players, the speed, the momentum, the companies, the investments, all of what's exciting. And when it all took off because of the pandemic, our platform was aligned to grow with it. And it was very authentic because Katie and I via 35 Ventures were living in it. And with the boardroom, so you all have a website where you publish articles related to sports business. Um, you also have a couple of podcasts, one of which you host. You have a newsletter. Um, and then you also have videos and you've you know produced shows in the past. I imagine there are more shows in the pipeline but you describe it as a platform, whereas I would have described it as a media company. Is there a reason you describe it as a platform and not a media company? Well, I mean, I, to be honest, no. I mean, I think that as an entrepreneur, I struggled to be fair. And I think that it's cool that you pointed that out because I think that when you're building something and growing something that, you know, you use so many different buzzwords and you can't really be scared to change it up at times. But there is a point in which you do have to kind of like, align internally and make sure that the world understands what you are because that consistency is important. And I think we're at that inflection point where we really are trying to discover, is this a brand? Is this something that lives offline, online? Is this a media network that's just delivering content? And for me, I say a platform because I think it's positioned to be all of it, you know, and I think that there is some some part of it that's a lifestyle that I think, especially in college, that kids can really relate to, which is this like, kind of non-traditional entrepreneurial path that a lot of young people want to take, but to be able to do it and not just swing for the fences or do do it recklessly, but to realize that there's like a path, even in this non-traditional, um, in the non-traditional journeys of so many of these entrepreneurs, um, you know, but I think to maybe to an older demographic that is also consuming our brand, it is more of a media network. It is more of, you know, the podcast and 
our newsletter. But, you know, it's, listen, man, I, I probably should figure out which word I'm going to land on because I think that at the end of the day, you know, you'll, you, I'm sure you've heard this with other people you speak to is that like when you're building something, it's the most incredible fun time and you don't know if people are going to like it and you're trying things out and you're saying things. And then sometimes you like, you, you step back and you think to yourself, like, well, like, why is this even important? Like, who the hell knows, right? But then all of a sudden, Tim's interviewing you and he says to you, well, you said platform and I say media network and it makes you realize how important all of these things are. And when you're building something, how important, like the uniformity amongst your team and how you present it, because that's all you got. You know, that's all people are going to really take. They're not going to understand the context in which you're building something. They don't care. So thanks for pointing out this void in our business right now, man. Okay. Uh, Speaking of the context in which you're building the boardroom. So before the boardroom, there was 35 media. Do you see, is the boardroom a continuation or did like 35 media turn into the boardroom or did the boardroom start and 35 media stopped? No, to be honest, 35 media was just the name of the company before we changed it to 35 ventures, because while venture sounds like venture capital for us, it just means that we're doing so many different ventures, you know, whether it was a media network or building boardroom or things we've invested in that no one has heard of, or um, even products and business that we start for Kevin, you know, these are all different ventures that we're embarking on. So that's kind of what 35 Ventures is. I know it's a bit confusing, but I'm okay with that because I believe in that long. Boardroom was just an evolution of us wanting to have a voice, um, knowing we had a voice, but us wanting to have our take and our point of view on the sports world and on what was happening in the culture around the sports world. And there were so many great digital media brands, both in and out of sports that I was subscribed to whether it was complex or business insider uninterrupted and seeing how those brands and platforms were being built was something that I knew I could do and wanted to do. But I also knew that it was very much an oversaturated market and it was very much constantly evolving and something that I'm a strong believer that people don't put enough emphasis on actually learning and doing the work. So I also knew I couldn't just become a, a media guy. Like, it's not the way the world works. I was an entrepreneur and I was a manager and I could do things, but I just said, you know what, if we're going to do this, then let's do something that's authentic and that's us. And it really happened that way. And it's why we didn't raise money to build it. It's why we built it very slowly and added different parts of it, because I was very aware of how crowded the landscape was and that I had to do this very organically because why? Right. Why go to another one? There's nothing that people see that's like the first of its kind because we see everything. We're all numb to all of this. But you have to get people to really buy into what it is and understand and believe like why they should log on and listen and read or just click through, you know, all of it. And that I knew was going to take time. And for me, that was the evolution of boardroom. Like it perfectly embodied KD and I. And I read somewhere, I think it might've been a slam online article that the birth of boardroom was all-star weekend, NBA all-star weekend, 2018. Was it, the the new format of the game was it being in LA was it was it Fergie's national anthem that sparked the idea for the boardroom how did it come about no well the thing was is Kevin and I have very deep conversations that's kind of the nature of our relationship and friendship and why we are able to have such a good time working on what we work on because we talk through these things and it become like nothing but um 
we're only accountable to ourselves is how we look at it. You know, so we're not going to start something that doesn't feel good because no one's telling us to. And the only responsibility we have is, you know, I have to be the best manager for Kevin. And then in terms of us running a business, we can't create something that's not real to us. We'll never do that. What happened when I was at this all-star party was funny. I was at um, Peter Goober's house. Pat Riley was there. Bunch of, it was like a brunch on a Sunday. And it was powerful room. It wasn't as many players in there, but it was like a powerful room of owners and executives. And now I'm 41 at this point. You have to understand, I started managing Mark Ronson and DJs in New York City in my early 20s. I was working for Jay-Z at 25. I had done scene and been to every cool-ass party, uh, everything imaginable. But I had never felt like a real guy when I was in these parties, straight up. Like, I knew everybody. I was fun. I could take shots with everybody. I, I was that guy. And I had a cool career going. But... It's not what I wanted. I wasn't happy being at these parties, not feeling like I should have been there the way I wanted to. And that shit drove me crazy. And the thing was, I got married at such a young age that I wasn't at these parties trying to meet girls. So my wife and I would be out and about and she'd be like, this thing is incredible. I'm having the best time. And I, in my mind, would be like, well, I don't get any attention from Jimmy Iovine or this guy or that guy. I could, they dap me up. They say hello to me. But I was impatient and I wanted that. And what happened was when I was at this party and I went over to talk to Pat Riley and he good, stood up and knew who I was. And I'm like, I grew up a Nick fan. Like I cried when Pat Riley left. And I'm sitting there like, how does this man know me like this? Wild. Then I'm walking over to this guy and that guy and the head of this network. And it's just three years ago. And I remember thinking to myself, like, holy shit, like, I'm starting to feel like I belong here. And there's a reason for this. Like I really didn't ever compromise how I was, you know, like I never gave up my family or like said like, nah, I can't be married and have kids and try to hustle and be entrepreneurial. Or I didn't skip steps, man. I managed DJs, producers, artists. I mean, all of that. And I'm sitting in this room and I'm like, but yo, now I finally feel like I made it here and, I'm, and I have a voice and I'm only 41. I got so much time to make up. And I figured like, there's probably way more young entrepreneurs like me than the ones that just can come out the gate kicking, you know? So I was like, well, then there's got to be some version of a brand or a network or a platform. I'll just keep saying every word where we, <laughs> where we could communicate a little bit about like what we're seeing now, what's going on and how relatable and, and, and how much it's tangible to, to anybody in this world, entrepreneurship. And, and, and I can only talk about it as it's rooted in sports because that culture is everything. That's mainstream pop culture, but it relates to everything now. So. That was kind of the genesis. And the cool thing about me and Katie's relationship is if I had called him that day and said, hey, man, listen to this. I'm thinking about we do this show called Boardroom and it's just kind of like reflective of what we're doing in Silicon Valley. And like, how did we end up meeting these people that we're meeting and how basketball took us here, took you here? If he had said to me, like, nah, man, stop. We got like, we're doing this, we're doing that. I'm getting like, but that's not what the reaction was, you know, he was like fucking boardroom. Like, yes, like, yo, we can, this is the, you know, and then when you get that excitement from your partner and I do that a lot, like I line it up, I send it when I have an idea, I'll say it like halfway, let him finish it. Cause then I'm like, Oh shit, he gets it. He's on the same page. He may have already been thinking it. So that's kind of what happened when I was at that party. I called him. I'm like, yo, I'm sitting here at Connor shell from ESPN. I want to do this show. And really my original idea was to go 50, 50 with ESPN, like go to them and say, KD and I want to start a brand. Like in the music industry, you know, give us money up front, we'll build it. But 
they're not built that way. So they ended up really, I mean, but they invested and supported us before we started. Uh, they bought shows, which gave us the kind of jumping point. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the first expression of the boardroom was the show, the boardroom on ESPN plus. Yeah, exactly. At that point, like what was the, the plan for the boardroom? Like, were you already thinking, okay, 2020, we'll get into podcasts. We'll have a newsletter 2021. We'll have this slate of shows that we'll add to it. No, just go, just go. Honestly, like each thing was introduced in real time like telling Sarah Flynn, our CMO, like, all right, we got to launch our social properties around it. You know, just going off what I see. Um, You know, I think the business we're in, I'm not creating a software, you know, I'm creating some technology. So it's like, I know I'm authentic. So whether I'm taking something I've seen and been inspired by and putting my own spin and creating a version of it that's ours, like, that's the whole space we're all in, right? Like I have a podcast, there's 8 million podcasts, like, what am I supposed to do? Right. <laughs> so, you know, I think for us, it was like, I saw the blueprint out there. It wasn't hard to understand, but it didn't w- connect to why we would do it until we needed it. You know what I mean? So it's like, I wasn't like, all right, a media company has a newsletter, podcast, video series, a website. It was just kind of like, I didn't know what I was doing at first, but I knew enough because I was savvy enough just in general to move forward with what I want to do. Like, as long as it's moving forward, then I'm going the right way. So it was kind of like, let's launch our Instagram. Oh, okay. Well, we should put out a newsletter because I think it's time. Some of these emails is what email addresses that we're accumulating, you know, so it's kind of like that. Now I'm trying very hard to look at it much more. Like I just finished, we're working on this fundraise and put together this like three-year plan. And like, I had never done things like that, you know, but it's, it's cool because it allows me to formalize a lot of like the way I think. And then that's something that, you know, I said earlier about, you're not accountable to anybody, but now I feel accountable to everybody, you know, cause now it's not just me and KD and like one or two people rolling with us. It's, you know, 30 people in the office. I'm accountable to Kevin and accountable to everyone here and my family. So, um, you know, it's a lot of that. We'll get back to the three year plan. Uh, cause I want to, I want to hear more about that, but, the podcast. So that was last August, I believe, where the first two podcasts launched. Was that just a function of the NBA was on hiatus leading up to then? You all had some time. How much did that factor in? No, I think I wore, a, I tried to wear a CEO hat and not um, like myself in that equation because I don't think I necessarily would have wanted to do a podcast like for myself. That wasn't something that I was like, kind of, you know, jumping at the opportunity for, but what it was felt like the obvious and most, um, it, the most on brand for us to continue to expand boardroom. And what we felt like was needed was we clearly defined what boardroom was. We now just had to grow it. But in order to grow it, we had to really define both Kevin and my voice within the brand and Kevin especially has just so much to say and represents so much and understands so much about culture around music, sports, fashion, art, that that to me is what boardroom is about. Because when you're at these meetings, so much of that understanding comes into play when you're making decisions on companies you want to invest in or people you want to work with or how you promote something is being in touch and relevant and staying in touch. So 
that was kind of like, okay, we need to create an outlet for KD because he wants to speak so much, but we also know as a business, we need to control this under what our company is, what we're building. Like why give all this someone else when we're building boardroom, but we got to make it fit for him. He's our captain. Then with me, with out of office, it was like, as we grow, I can't do, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, Dave Portnoy or Gary V in that, like, I'm not going to be the face of my brand. And that's not a bad thing. I don't know if I have the skill set the two of them have to do that. But I did think that there was like a natural comfort that I have in speaking to people of any walk of life in any field that I've always held my hat on, even before I quote unquote felt like I was made, you know, like in these parties. Um, so I felt like I needed an outlet. And I also am in this really confused state still of where digital video lies in the whole like landscape of this. It's just very hard to understand where and what works. So the podcast format allowed us to use this as a pillar and then build ancillaries around it and then have these two very cool buckets of content under the boardroom brand. Yeah. What are the challenges you've run into on the digital video front? Because like, I think the first time we ever talked was when it was back in the 35 media days and you all were working with YouTube. And I think at that point you had just announced uh, some program with YouTube where you were going to bring other NBA athletes and maybe just other athletes in general onto YouTube. The YouTube relationship was amazing. I mean, that was one of those things where we had gotten to Silicon Valley. We were starting fresh and building a business. Kevin did not want to hit the ground getting brand sponsorship deals. And that meant that we had to learn and educate and build. And along with investing was spending time at YouTube and getting to know Neil Mohan, the chief product officer, and Susan Wasicki, the CEO, Robert Kinsel from content, the whole team. And what I saw was that these creators were building their own networks, their own business, their own revenue streams across dedicated fans to one YouTube page. I only thought of YouTube as these videos that you could see at any time, any place, anywhere on anything. I used to watch old Nick games on there. So it was really our learning how to play in the world of media and utilizing technology. And, you know, at first we started building Kevin's page. We did such a good job building it that at the idea of helping YouTube and working with other athletes to onboard them was made sense at that very moment, you know, but as you're building a business, these things just quickly start to go, oh, okay, well, that was a cool move then, but it's not actually the right move for us. But it was an incredible learning experience because we launched Kevin's channel, allowed us to be able to have a big presence for boardroom when it was time to launch that channel and really gave us an idea of what we wanted to do. And I think Kevin creating episodic continuous content on YouTube, which is what's so important with your community. It's just not something that's possible or something that's going to be, uh, you know, of an appetite for him to do. But what I do think it would of, take too much of his time. Yeah. It's just, only you know, so much I think, yeah, I just think it's a certain personality that, you know, it's going to, that's why these YouTube creators are YouTube creators it's skills, not just like in, insert audience. But the thing with video content in general is like, I'm just trying to figure out the pattern of behavior of people on their mobile devices and knowing that most of the time our content is being consumed on a mobile device. And I can see all the way down to my 12 year old and eight year old and to my peers, like how are people consuming content and like what attention span does someone have to watch video content? So if you're going to watch like anywhere from 
let's say anywhere where upwards of two or three minutes, what is the hook? What's the reason? It's not just going to be a branded content piece that doesn't work anymore. So I won't even let a brand know that that is a possibility with us because that's not going to be believable to the audience long term. And if you're going to do it, you have to solve for the same thing that you have to solve for in any distribution of content, which is you got to create a great show. You can't just create digital content. So now I'm looking at it much more as something that is used alongside our pod and our video and our newsletters when it's timely and topical, when it's shorter, when the graphics are stand out, when it's shot better and putting an emphasis on the quality over quantity. I think it, you know, as, as recently as six months or a year ago, like video content was just like, you thought you had to do it. Let's create these video series. And as soon as I saw that that wasn't the right move, I just said, no, nah, let's cut that because I saw where it was going. And it's not about episodic videos that cost a lot of money. It's just as hard as getting a show to pop on television. So then on the video, for lack of a better word, front, is it primarily things like the Apple TV Plus show or the Showtime documentary? Well, no, that stuff, like the documentaries and the Apple show, that's more of like under our parent Holdco Ventures. But as it relates to boardroom, there'll be video content when it accompanies our pods or an editorial piece or there's a great story to do, you know, a great five-minute, eight-minute story to do. But um, I do think when I saw that shift and we focused on the community and creating content that was much more uh, in line with, I think, how people consume now, I saw the growth. I saw the growth. So was the Apple show and the Showtime doc part of the holding company and not part of the boardroom? Correct. All those docs and series are just under the holding company. Yeah, why is that? Well, because boardroom is its own its own entity, you know, it's its own content and own brand that has a point of view on things and a doc on PG County or a scripted series doesn't fall in line with that. Okay. So are you all looking at it similar to how like LeBron James has uninterrupted, but Spring Hill separate from that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the things they've done in terms of like structure has influenced us. And, uh, you know, times Mav and I talk a lot about that kind of stuff because all the same things that you have fun with as a as an entrepreneur thinking about, like your website and your socials and your tagline and what are you calling yourself? And that's what's fun about owning a business. And you can't be shy about acknowledging those things. Those things become really important because they're also that one line you have to explain to someone when you run into them or the one line that that person is explaining your company to someone else. Nine out of ten times, they, people butcher it. So I think it's important, and Mav and I talk about that a lot. It's like setting the stage for people that are listening. Like, okay, here's 35 Ventures. These are all the things that operate under here. Boardroom is one of the companies that operates under here. If I sell Boardroom one day or we align with a big media network and I still want to build docs and series out of my parent co-company, I got to be able to have that flexibility and, and be able to be that nimble. And I think that's the vision for how we're building things. But boardroom is something that I think is representative of us. Like it really, the brand is starting to become that way. So, you know, I think maybe there'll be a time where there'll be longer form content that's boardroom specific, but like a doc or a scripted series that we do will never be like boardroom branded. In terms of boardroom, you all cover the business of sports. The digital we cover the business of media. How does Boardroom's business break down? Like, what are your different revenue sources? And is there one primary revenue driver for you all? Yeah, I mean, I think in the beginning, it was um, 
as we did deals with third-party distributors, we were able to make fees. Then as we started building an audience, it was brands. And now as we're starting to build an audience plus a brand identity and a certain cachet to the brand, there's companies that are investing in the whole experience of Boardroom and allowing us to kind of embrace them into all of our different newsletters and seminars and conferences and social properties. And we've had a lot of cool brands that we'll be representing, I mean, announcing in the next month that have invested in. And when you see them, it'll make sense. It'll be different than maybe some of the more traditional media networks. And I think that's like a testament to what we feel like boardroom means, you know, what that brand stands for. And so those are set up as investment deals as opposed to just sponsorship deals. No, like they're sponsorships, sponsorships. Oh, they okay. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. And with that, like, are you doing upfront commitments where it's just like you sign a deal with a brand, they commit to spend X amount over the next year, and then you figure out the different ways to apply that money towards? A little bit of that, a little bit of like some hard deliverables and some like they want to ideate, they want to build. How do you... How do you build with a company two years out on deliverables when the world changes every two days? And so with sponsorships being like the primary revenue, to what extent are you looking at other revenue sources? Like this three-year plan that well, you have, are you looking oh, at commerce, subscriptions? Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, I think right now the number one goal is audience. The number one goal is to continue to build a great brand that creates great content. But sponsorships, when they're more partnerships that are in it for the long haul. You know, I think I'm allowing partners to kind of enter into our world at a way more cost efficient price. If I feel like there's somebody that wants to grow with us and understands all the different things at their disposal, including Kevin and our whole organization when it's appropriate. Um, but then after that, I think potentially in a way more niche premium way, there could be a subscription service. I think that's definitely in the possibility. And more third-party distribution um, when appropriate. And e-commerce to a degree, I think, you know, I don't wanna do it just because I know it's important and a buzzword for every brand in America right now and every network, but if people love your community, people love what you're about, then they'll, you know, ultimately they're gonna buy in. So whatever that may be, once I know we got people like that and it feels real, then, you know, something that, is appropriate for them that is something that I have to have to create, you know, like that's how I look at it. Like I feel like these kids in college now are, are down to wear some of our boardroom university merch, not just because we created it, but because they're starting to feel it a little bit, you know? So, but will I make 10,000 of them? No, I'll make a hundred of them because <laughs> that's all I feel like the demand is. So that's how I see that. But I think brands understand that, you know, a lot of times, the company you do a deal with, I remember when I managed Salon, she did a deal with Puma. She wasn't the biggest artist in the world, but when she, once she did the deal, all of a sudden I was like, oh shit, look how many other artists are doing deals with Puma. And I do think that doing business with Boardroom, if you're a brand, because of like the idea that you could be sponsoring a conversation with Eddie Q and Jimmy Iovine, that it's kind of like we're down at Boardroom and then maybe another brand comes, another platform wants to work with that brand. But um, those are the kind of sponsors we're looking for, you know, and, and that doesn't cost as much because that costs a partnership. That's what it costs. And how do you balance that with the brand like coming in and sponsoring boardroom, but maybe in the brand's mind, they may be thinking, oh, we're sponsoring Kevin Durant or this is going to create some relationship with Kevin Durant because we've had a number of 
athletes and others, you know, celebrities who've built their businesses on their own go into media. Um, but in some cases, I mean, we've even had esports athletes do this. But in a lot of cases, it's been, well, the media is, is remains the athlete or the celebrity or whoever it is. But it seems like what you all are doing with Boardroom is obviously Kevin Durant is very much associated and a part of it, but that it also is something that seems like it can stand apart from Kevin Durant. And I don't know to what extent that's a newer or becoming a more popular model for these kinds of things or a potentially more successful model. Yeah. I mean, the truth is, is like, it's not even something that's like under the radar. It's obvious and overt with most brands. And that is easy. That means that I can put a certain filter in place of brands that I know that Kevin would never associate with. And if that's the case, then I can say to a brand, A, this deals for boardroom and boardroom only. If you're not interested, then there's really nothing to talk about. But B, if it's a brand that Kevin probably doesn't want to align himself with, at least at this stage in the development of our business, it probably isn't the right brand necessarily for boardroom. That being said, the cool thing about the growth of our company is we do have some deals that very much are a product of their desire to work with Kevin, 35 Ventures, and Boardroom. And now there's brands that are coming and their goal is to just work with Boardroom. And then if Kevin likes the company, we can build the brand deal out even more because it can involve Kevin. And instead of being like a little bit of a hindrance or confusing, it's become an incredible luxury to have. And exciting when you see someone that wants to invest in your company just for who your company is. But then even more exciting when you realize, oh, but we also have Kevin, who's now, you know, in New York at the top of his game and in a savvy business mind himself. So he sees things in certain brands that may work for us that maybe we didn't see at first glance. Rich Clement, thanks for coming on the Digiday podcast. This was fun. This was fun, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode.